The Athletic. Welcome to the Athletic Women's Football Podcast. We've got something extra special for you today. Yes, that's right. A whole episode chatting to European champion and Ballon d'Or runner-up Beth Mead. Her autobiography, Lioness, My Journey to Glory, is coming out on November the 10th. And it's ghostwritten by our very own, The Athletic's Katie Wyatt. Beth sat down with us ahead of the big release. So here goes. Enjoy this one. Beth, thank you very much for joining us to talk about your book. How does that sound, having a book out? So Lioness, My Journey to Glory, the title itself, can you even believe it? How has life changed? I probably still don't believe it. The fact that I have a book, I think maybe it's something you always thought about, but never thought maybe you would do. So for me to actually do it, interesting and enjoyable journey doing it. Obviously, like you said, Journey to Glory, it's what it says on the tin starts from my early years as a footballer and the journey to where obviously we got this summer uh, just gone. So yeah, it's a, hopefully it's a good read for everyone. And yeah, it kind of shows me in a little bit of a different light. You, of course, as part of a book, you have to cover the ups, the downs, some of the in-betweens. But the book writing process itself, how did you find that? Was it therapeutic? Is it is it something you'd like to do again? Do you know what? I really did enjoy it. And I think I've obviously got to give uh, Katie huge credit. Um, Katie Wyatt, who um, is my ghostwriter, she was incredible throughout the process and made it very easy for me to open up to her throughout and talking about the book. And I think most people who know me know I'm pretty good at talking. But I think for me, it was it was a, it was a nice feeling to kind of relive memories and bring up memories, good and bad. I guess to kind of keep myself grounded still, like, the process that's gone into where I am today it wasn't easy but is anything ever easy sometimes I think that's what life throws at you but yeah Katie made it incredibly easy for me to open up to her and it was quite nice to put it onto paper and have it there as a memory as well and some stuff that I could literally talk about with it being so fresh that I could add every element into how I was feeling in the moments and what I remember of certain instances. So that was quite nice to kind of relive, relive them again through, through the book. And was all of it lucid? Because I hear at one point you had concussion and Katie tells us that she got in touch with you to read through some chapters and that was a challenge, wasn't it? It was. I um, yeah, obviously flew out to Ajax and I was reading through the book to go over chapters and try and like, organise things and Obviously, Katie, I think, has been incredibly patient with me. I think she was on a lot of deadlines and I was struggling to read as faster than she was writing. So the head injury didn't help because I couldn't look at a screen for a few days, which obviously was not ideal. But again, uh, the team behind Arl and Katie were incredible in kind of giving me a little bit of leeway. One, because I got knocked out, but yeah, two for being a little bit slower maybe at things um, than I would have liked to. 
interesting thing about women's footballers and how many books are out there, and I'm sure this has been brought up a few times, but Enia Luko, Kelly Smith, Alex Scott, and now you, can you believe that? Yeah, I mean, when you think, when you look at it like that, it's a small group. And yeah, I think looking at it, I think to begin with, I was very apprehensive about doing one while still playing. And obviously the girls that I brought theirs out now are retired and in kind of, shared their stories so I was a little bit apprehensive to begin with about doing it I still think for me although the summer was incredible I thought I didn't warrant my own book yet but in hindsight looking at it I do hope and feel that what I have shared can hopefully help a lot of people and a lot of young girls and boys within the process of trying to become a professional footballer and the ups and downs and I guess a little bit of the reality of going through it. So I think that's kind of how I've kind of tried to look at it a little bit more than hopefully can help people and give them the experience that maybe they weren't expect weren't expecting throughout obviously this journey of uh, trying to become a professional footballer. After the Euros, I lost count of the amount of times that I read the words Beth Mead revenge tour and I I really am interested in what your reaction was to that and that's exactly where the book starts is is why everyone calls it this revenge tour is because of you not being selected for the Olympics and that's where you've decided to begin what was that conversation with Hegarisa like can you just recap that for us and why did you want to start with that point obviously for me it was a difficult time I think I can say lucky or I've worked hard to be where I have been but I've never really been in that situation before of not making a squad or or being sat on the bench too much. Obviously, I went from Sunderland where I was playing every single game and then coming to Arsenal, managed to get my chance. So when I had the conversation with Hege, I think the biggest thing that I struggled with is she never really, for me, gave me a reason for why I shouldn't be in that squad. Obviously, she came in in April to England uh, to the camp and I didn't get selected from minute one she didn't even give me a chance and then obviously I got called into the squad and still didn't give me a chance I played as fullback throughout the week at training I think looking back I'm still very proud of how I acted in that time on the pitch off the pitch in my own room was a different story throughout that camp and I think for me I very much am a confidence player and that took a lot of confidence out of me and yes maybe I wasn't clearly wasn't playing my best football considering this season uh, just gone but for me I still think I warranted to be in that squad on what I'd done so far in the season so for her to turn around to me and tell me I wasn't in the squad because of a report card which to this day I still don't know what that consists of or if it exists and her other reason was that I'm too aggressive as a footballer. And for me, every other manager and coach that I've had say I play my best football when I'm aggressive and on the front foot and direct and what I'm doing. So it was a tough pill to swallow and one that I really struggled to get my head around. Like I would have, think in hindsight, preferred to turn around and say, I actually don't like you as a person. Like I don't like you as a footballer. Then come up with things that, for me, were my bread and butter on a football pitch and things that I thought I did well. So, yeah, it was an interesting conversation, but that was kind of one of my first and last conversations with her again. Haven't had one since. And then, obviously, the place that I was in after, obviously, that was... I mean, obviously, I speak about openly in the book, but I was 
was quite in a low place. I was quite depressed. Um, and it took me kind of a light bulb moment and a moment of re reality that obviously told me to stop being a child and, you know, bounce back and work hard and get your head down. And so, yeah, that was kind of my hegger to this the season just gone. How did that light bulb moment come about? For me, I um, was in pre-season training, um, obviously alongside Gordon Nobbs, who was in a similar situation to me, maybe warranted going, but didn't get selected. Uh, had a phone call the same day as me. Um, obviously, me and Jordan are quite close anyway, but that summer we were each other's rocks. I think... For me, it was when I was in training for pre-season. I think it was a, one of the days where it was a hard session. I'm thinking, like, obviously, you're still knowing all the girls were playing in the Olympics at that point. So that was a me still kind of sulking to a certain extent and being a little bit of a child. But I think later on that month, obviously, I found out my mum was diagnosed with cancer. And uh, I think for me... It was the reality of there's a lot more worse things going on in the world than me not getting selected to go to an Olympics. And since then, I've been very logical about somebody else is always worse off. And for me, I can make the best out of the short life that we have and to try and grasp things what are put in front of me. And I think my mum has been a massive motivation for me. I think she's got so much joy this summer from what I've done and what the teams have done. But I was just, yeah, at that moment when I found that out, it kind of just ignited something inside of me to appreciate life, I guess, and try and take it the best that I can. Um, so I think that was kind of the moment where things switched for me and I've tried to hold on to that since. That ignition moment, that's the bit that I wonder if people might have got wrong about you, that when they read the book, it's more intimated than it is completely overt but I wonder whether when you talk about playing angry and you do play brilliantly when you've got the bit between your teeth but is that anger less about the Olympics in this situation and maybe more angry at personal circumstances? I think a lot of people thought that I was kind of motivated by Hege to a certain extent it was but from the moment I found about mum I was angry at life in general. I thought life was unfair. My mum's done nothing but being a good human, keep herself fit, do the right things, and this has happened to her. Um, so I think it was more an angry at life moment and why, like the questioning why, why has this happened and why is it coming to my family? And unfortunately, cancer is a horrible disease and it, it, it goes on everywhere, but you sometimes sit there and think it will never happen to you and it reality hit hard that it has happened to me and my family um so I think yeah it wasn't the Olympic uh motivation anymore it was very much the anger and motivation for my mum more so than that but I think like you said people until they read the book they won't know that because I wasn't open about it until the Euros um so I played full season with people being completely unaware of that Mm. I wonder as well, because it obviously all comes full circle with your family. The dedication at the beginning is for mum, dad and Ben. And you spoke about that anxiety you experienced and feeling really low. And once again, it was them that got you through that. 
Can you can you talk us through your relationship with this support network? I mean, let, let's go back really early doors because you you're from Whitby, and and I'm just wondering about that that mission to get to football on a on a weekly basis. We all know those struggles that loads of you who've played for the Lionesses have been through. So, what did it look like? What did your household look like with your family getting you through all of that? I mean, we tried to pick the furthest possible place away from anything to live yeah. uh, in general. We live in a little village called Hinduel, and there's not much near it. Um, so we made it difficult for ourselves to begin with. But my mum and dad have been incredible throughout my full journey. And I've, I think, like I know, I'm very lucky in that to that extent that I've had that support network throughout my uh, full career. And I know some people um, aren't as lucky to have that. So I guess I'm very appreciative of what they did. But I mean, obviously openly speak about it and spoke about it in interviews, but my mum worked two jobs to pay the petrol for my dad to drive me to training. 45 minutes to an hour was the closest place for me to kind of go play football and uh, play at a kind of good enough level to develop me as a person and player and yeah it's not something I ever asked them to do they did it because they wanted they seen so much enjoyment of from what I got from it and I think even these little moments now I still don't think I've ever, I'll ever do enough to give back to them obviously we shared an amazing moment winning the Euros but for me I still I'll never feel like I'll be able to give back to what they kind of had I guess put up with, I wasn't an easy child. I speak about it in my book and I'm very much like being in my comfort zone. I don't like pushing, I didn't like pushing myself. I was very comfortable in what I was doing. I enjoyed being a big fish in a small pond, uh, doing well. And without them pushing me, maybe I wouldn't have got to where I was today because I'd have held myself back a little bit in terms of, say, sent centre of excellence football I had the option to stay another year or I could have gone and played for Sunderland Women and the director of the centre of excellence wanted me there because it benefited him but actually with my coach and my actual team told me to move on and my dad obviously also said that and I went up for one session and loved every minute of it with Sunderland but for me I was staying I was adamant I was stubborn I was throwing my kit in the bin I wasn't doing it anymore so my I think my mum and dad very much understood me pretty well and they knew what I needed and they seen more in me than I've probably seen in myself at that time to kind of push me on and support me and take me to, yeah, them sessions because Sunderland was even further away. It's an hour and hour, an hour and a half away, so it wasn't getting any easier for them, but they were still pushing me to do so. So, yeah, massive credit to them. And also my brother, I think I speak about him a little bit in the book and I think... He's a little bit been on, been on the back burner because of the amount of hours that mum and dad have had to put into me. And he played football, but it was in the local area, so it wasn't as far to travel. And he was amazing. He'd come to every tournament. He'd sit there. He'd play with his toys. He'd eat the picnic that we'd have, and he wouldn't say a thing. And I've always had a close relationship with my brother. We've been very much... People ask, did you argue? And I'm like, we we never argued like I would wind him up I'd wind him up for days and I still do that now but yeah we the way our family dynamic works just worked for how and what I needed I guess in my career. It sounds like they recognised quite early on maybe even in before you did that football was your safe space and and when you've you know shone a light on the 
anxiety you you suffered and uh, and we've seen how football has partnered in a way in recent years with mind charities and and tried to really highlight the fact that lots of people suffer is that why you included it in the book it is I think some things are, it's not easy to speak out about and I have I have spoken about certain situations but sometimes you always feel like you're the first one to feel like that or you're the only one to feel like that and a lot of us can turn up to work and put a brave face on and nobody know but what is happening underneath the skin and inside is completely different and I think that's literally what I felt like this year although I felt so good and amazing on football pitch underneath and you said football is my safe space it still is I go on that pitch and it's a 90 minutes where I don't think about what's going on in my personal life and it was important for me to share them instances and them moments and with everybody else because I feel like you, you always feel like you're alone and you're the only one that feels like that. But I think it was it was important for me to make people aware that they're not the only one who can feel like that and certain situations can trigger you to feel like that and decision-making can make you feel like that. So it was important for me. People who have seen me in such good stead the season just gone when actually one it's possible to do both things don't have to be always a right great but you can also do the other side of it but at the same time it's okay not to be okay and share them moments of being alone again important to try and get a good support system rather people around you that really care and are willing to be there for you for you and I think for me that was been really important for me. My Arsenal family and my England family were incredible and for me this last season and I wouldn't have been able to do what I've done this season without them and the support that they've given me and the moments where they've just put an arm around my shoulder or give me a hug and told me it's going to be okay and I think that was important for me to share that it basically it's okay not to be okay. Knowing this about you, it must have been a huge wrench for you when you left Sunderland to go to Arsenal. In fact, we met for the first time when you were still playing at Sunderland and you were playing under Carlton Fairweather. Mm -hmm. And I remember having a conversation with you about a car accident and this sliding doors moment. Can you just recap what that was? Yeah, um, I was actually coming back from training one night, an hour and a half journey home. I was driving at this point. I think it was my first year of driving. And, yeah, unfortunately that night a lot of roads were closed, so I had to go a little bit of a different way home. Unfortunately, it was a road where there wasn't a lot of lighting. We don't, where we live back home, there's not many roads with lots of lighting. But, um, yeah, I drove home that night and obviously came over at the top of a dip and a deer ran out in front of me. And for me, I didn't know at the time what it was. Swerved, lost the control back end of my car and incidentally hit the sign with a deer on and that made me flip three times so wow yeah it wasn't ideal yeah I flipped three times but again luckily because it's the middle of nowhere you land in bushes and not into anything and no other cars luckily at the time but I'm not a fan of small spaces I was upside down and I managed to I think get out of quite a small gap in the door where I could jar it open and run to the side of the road and try and flag the next car down possible which took a little while because there's not that many cars run on that road. But luckily for me, I was two minutes away from home. So my dad got up to me pretty quickly and took me home. But by bruising from a seatbelt, 
I was assessed two days later by Sunderland and then obviously played against Chelsea and scored a hat-trick. So, yeah, we joke saying I should roll my car more often, but I don't think I'll make that a regular thing. No, no, we wouldn't encourage no. you to do that. But no. it, isn't it interesting that you, you play that match and another coach might have said, no, we're going to leave you out for this one. But you play that, you score your hat-trick and you think that was quite key in, in that move happening to Arsenal? I would say so. I think a big team like Chelsea, they were unbeaten at the time. Um, flying in the league and we were a little team Sunderland who'd just been promoted and yeah we nicest way of saying it pumped them 4-0 um, <laughs> you did I don't mind saying that about Chelsea to be fair so it's alright and yeah for me in that instant I was very much approached by obviously Pedro wanting me to come to Arsenal and I guess I, he wanted to see me score against the big teams, not just the small ones. And no, I was capable of doing it at that level. So, yeah, it was a good day all round, I guess, in terms of my move heading down the line. You won't be the first Arsenal player that struggled with the move either. I've had many a conversation with Kim Little about coming from Scotland and, and settling in. But now you, you do describe Arsenal as this family. And I believe there's a sushi crew can you tell us who's in this sushi crew and huh. <laughs> what it entails? Yeah, we have a sushi crew. It's me, Steph Catley, Jenny Beatty and Jordan Nobbs. Um, we called ourselves the sushi crew because we literally, every, every time we will go to one of the girls' houses, we'll order sushi and we'll have just a catch-up and natter and put the world to right every time. And I think that's kind of sometimes our little break away from football and try and get the stuff out that sometimes is sitting on you or you want to get out and yeah we trust each other uh, in that sense that we share that and know it can help offload to help us down the line so yeah that's our little sushi club. And how fundamental of things like that aside from the football on the pitch it's all of those bits around it how has that helped with your anxiousness but also bringing you out of your personality because it feels like now there's no holding you back I am very much known as a social butterfly I'm not a fan of sitting in my own company for too long like you said when I first came down to Arsenal it wasn't easy again I was lucky enough like Jordan I lived with her she was great for me um it was getting used to I guess different surroundings not going home to my family on a night having my own room I guess becoming a big girl really looking after myself but them moments with them, them girls, I think we appreciate and understand how important it is for each other to have them moments and be able to unload uh, to each other and know that you're in a safe space. And we're still humans. At the end of the day, we play football and we we enjoy being on the pitch and things, but we're still humans. We still feel what other people feel. Um, we still have stuff going on in our lives. And it's important for us to have, again, that support system and bubble around us to help us get through them moments so that we can play our best football. And yeah, for me, they're the people around me that help bring my personality out. I think my personality comes out on a football pitch as well in certain instances. But I mean, I'm a, I'm a fun, fun person. I enjoy having a good time and I enjoy making other people feel good as well. Um, so that's why I always, at the end of games, love spending time with the fans. Like for me, it's important to spend time with them and the games wouldn't be the same without fans anyway. Um, I think we realised that massively throughout COVID when there was no one at games and that's just my personality that I enjoyed chatting and finding out about other people and how they're doing and if I can affect their life on a small scale then I would, I love doing that. 
You can also see how much you love playing in an England shirt. And of course, coming off the back of what has been a really historic summer, it's hard for me to take you back even further. But what I want to do is just shine a light on the fact that you're not the only one. You know, in the book, when you talk about having the phone call and it, it all feels so brutal, Beth, when you're reading about it, you get a phone call, whether you're in or you're out there's so many of you that will have gone through similar experiences. We know for Steph Horton, for instance, what she's been through and had to watch you all do really well. And she must have had that bittersweet feeling too. I'm sure you've yeah. had it before when you when you had that with the Olympics. Yeah. And do you think there's something about the treatment when you play for England that does need addressing? You felt like at times it wasn't an easy relationship. You've also had the highest of highs with them. But is there somewhere in the middle where where maybe some improvements can be made? I think that's why we've done so well the past year. We've got it so much right. And I think, again, credit to Serena in her understanding as a player, being one in the past at international level, having the experience to have done a home tournament beforehand. For me, I've been playing for England since I was 12. And... I used to hate going away and I, I I love playing for my country. Like I do love playing for my country, but going away on camps and even if they were three days long, I hated every single second of them. And I think that's something we've passed on to the FA and to England now, because when you were so young, you were, you were trapped like a robot and you felt like a little kid. And yes, I was a 12 year old, but, there were so many limitations on things and they were so strict on certain things and how we were still trying to understand at the time who we were as people and we were still trying to understand ourselves. And I don't think at the time the system and the support staff and understood that. They just wanted to make you as best football that you possibly could. But even on a picture, we're still trying to understand what type of player you were and what your best position was and... So it has been difficult. I think a lot of the girls will say the same. It's got better, but throughout the age groups and until you're really at senior years, or for me, through my process, I never felt like an adult and an actual human being until I actually got to senior level football. And then again, to a certain extent, it was always so strict and I think Serena is direct. You know what she expects from you. We have the trust there. We've not broken the trust. If we break that trust, things get taken away, and that's fair. But for us, like going on camps, just little things of the normality of going out for dinner one night as a team, somewhere else, not just the same room that you're sitting for 10 days, little things. We went to the cinema last camp and watched um, the new Top Gun throughout the Euros we had a little coffee barista who came in and it was a little bit of outside life and a bit of normal different talk and we had the, obviously you were, you'd been to the Lensbury um, I seen you there and we were able to go on the boats one day down the Thames and it was just us in the boat and it was a bit of normality and I think that again credit Serena and the staff now we've we've started to get that a lot better and we don't feel like we're caged as much. We're free and we're chilled and we're able to do things. We had a day off. A couple of us went into London, but we came back. We had a certain time to be back in. And then, and just little things like that go such a long way and can have such an effect. I remember, I mean, one of the biggest ones that I always struggled, under 19s, in, it was a Euro 
championship I played in uh, Turkey it was and we were in this amazing five-star hotel like resort in Turkey and it had a like its own little water park amazing pools the beach whatever we didn't train till the evening so we had the full day we weren't allowed to do anything of part of the hotel we were generally stuck in our rooms or to the food rooms we then went on the pitch at the night got absolutely eaten alive by every possible insect that was on the grass on the pitch and they were doing that obviously for the heat wise but the team that actually won it was Sweden who were walking around the hotel they were sat chilling at the pool they were doing and I think for me that was a big one looking back realizing how much of maybe your mental health has such an effect on how you play as a footballer and we didn't even get out of the group stage of that European championship and we had a great team yet we didn't get out of the group stage so in looking back at it now, I think if, yes, we have our um, what we're meant to do with England and we have our roles and responsibilities, but still treating us like human beings and giving us that in, like little bit of normal life throughout has been a massive, massive factor for us under Serena. I want to unpick loads from the summer. Of course, people who get this book and pick it up, they're going to absolutely ravish all of that success. I want to know a bit more about Serena's personality because you've said about her being up front. I've heard this a few times. But what did she say before extra time versus Germany? I don't think that there was anyone in that crowd that didn't think, oh, no. Oh, no. So what was she saying to you? She was so calm, honestly. I don't know what she did. But she had such an amazing effect at keeping you calm during this big storm and all that noise. Even before the the final with the final in the change room before in the change room, it was so calm. She has such a calming effect and you feel that she believes in us as a squad and as a team and as individuals. And for us, we stood there and we kind of all looked at her. But she just looked at us and it was kind of girls like I trust in this team I believe in this team you can go on and win this game I'm not worried and because she was so calm we went back into that extra time so calm and we we showed that we could do a bit of everything we scored the goal we time wasted we were looking after the ball in their half of the pitch she didn't tell us any of that but she didn't have to it was the way she holds herself we held ourselves and we none of us were worried. It was the same for the Spain game. A lot of people were worried with that time to go, but we had this unbelievable feeling that we were going to be okay. And although I was not the best person on the bench in the Spain game, but I'm, I'm not a fan of being and sat on the bench because it's that uncontrollable, but still I believed in the team and the girls on the field and, that was the exact same for the extra time. And Serena didn't have to say much. She believed in us. She believed in what we'd done, what we'd put in place, what we've worked on, that we could we could bring it home, which we did. As Golden Boot winner, I think the temptation would be to ask you for your favourite goal. But I'm not going to ask you for your favourite. Mm-hmm. I think we all think about the weaving run that you, that you made and it was fantastic finish. But which goal out of those, Beth, meant the most to you? I think for me, it had to be the first goal against Sweden in the semi-final. I think the importance of the goal, they'd had a few chances earlier on. 
we were building into the game, but it was still quite edgy and nervy. And I think that goal kind of settled us. And from that moment on, we controlled the game and we were in full control of that game. But I mean, it, my touch and my finish, I enjoyed very much. But I think the importance of that goal and to set us on our way to go to a final, which is something we've not done, I think meant the most and probably was the most important goal that I scored throughout the tournament. You've got this curling shot when you run in from the wing and it, it feels like it's a repeated goal now that I've, that in my mind, if I think Beth Mead, I think of this one sort of goal. You scored at the Emirates um, against Chelsea on the opening day of WSL last season, you know, when you hit the towel, which was actually hanging yeah. in the goal. That one, is is it muscle memory? Because we've seen you score a few like that and the goalkeeper doesn't have any chance. But also when that ball leaves your foot there is an assuredness that that's actually where it's going to nestle into the net. Yeah, it's a funny feeling as a footballer when you hit a ball well, you know it's going to go in the right direction. I think that's why you see a lot of us celebrate before sometimes it's in the back of the net. And I think mm. for when that one left my foot for the Chelsea game, I knew it was, I mean, it was for my left left foot that one, so it's normally for standing on. But yeah, I hit that one pretty, pretty well and knew I when that left my foot that it was going in the back of the net but I remember Catherine Berger saying to me I didn't realise you had a left foot so she was joking to me about it after the game but you just have them moments in football where it just feels right and it feels good and instinctive and for me I think again maybe my muscle memory of my number nine days helped me in that instance running forward and striking early and getting a good hit against um, the keeper before she had a chance to react so yeah they're always nice feelings when you hit them I mean Scoring a goal is the best feeling ever, but yeah, when you hit it well beforehand, it's even better. Those number nine days, could that be the key to what you've got left to achieve? I mean, you've already come second in the Ballon d'Or. I think you've also shown as well that you've been consistently at the top of your game for a very long period of time now, which the best players do. Is it variation of goals that you can add in? Is that the thing now? Because you've joked about not scoring many headers. Is is that where you're working to try and get that extra bit out of yourself? I am trying to work on a lot of different things. I think no footballer is ever going to be perfect, but there's a lot of things in my game that I still can improve on. And I'm 27 now. Um, but for me, I mean, we would joke in the Norway game, I scored my head and I'm tapping on my head. Don't often get chances to score on my head, but... If I can take them, I mean, any opportunity to score more goals, you've got to improve on. I think another big one for me is um, set pieces, free kicks, which obviously I've been practising quite a lot and obviously got my rewards against Leon the other night uh, when I took that free kick. So there's a lot of elements to my game that I'm still working on. There's a lot of things in my game that I'm still annoyed about. I still come away from the last two WSL games and I'm like, I've not come away with a goal or an assist and, that's two bad days at the office for me, even though we came away with six points from them two games. So I guess for now I have a different mindset on how I want to push myself and want to be even better. And you kind of get a taste for, say, coming second in a Ballon d'Or and being so close by such small margins that you, you know you need to do uh, other things to a different level now. You're now also part of a power couple. I mean, if you're taking two <laughs> supreme footballers, yourself and Viv Medebar, you're obviously in a relationship. You went to the Ballon d'Or together recently. We won't mention that plus guest comment. I know that you laughed that off. Yeah, that's my no, that's my favourite comment of the year so far, I think. <laughs> um, how, how is it when, when you're with someone that plays? Are you 
are you spurring each other on? Are you banning any talk of football when you're at home? Depends on what's happened that day or in that game. Uh, I think it's getting that fine line and that balance. I think for us, we understand what each other are going through, our schedules, how much and how demanding it can be, most physically and mentally. So in that aspect, we understand each other's jobs, um, which is always nice. But sometimes, yeah, you want to switch off from football. So sometimes you just have them days where, you know, we we won't be talking about it. But I think we've got that, yeah, that kind of balance where we 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 do the best of both, help each other, and we're pretty competitive. To be fair, between the two of us, so I've been doing well, so now she wants to do better, and same for me. So hopefully, we can make each other better in that aspect. But yeah, getting the balance, that fine line balance, right, is I think very important with our relationship. There will be plenty of people from your fan bases wanting to know the answer to a question that you reveal in the book, which is who mm-hmm. asked who out? Mm-hmm. Coffee shop? Yeah, I um, I actually asked Viv uh, to be my girlfriend, but I I was adamant I wasn't going to do that. I, said, I think I said that in the book, but yeah, in my head I was like, I am not asking you to be my girlfriend. That is not a thing I want to do, uh, but... She kind of took the reins on quite a lot of things. The first I love you, the first kiss. So I thought I better uh, step up to the plate this time. So, yeah, the timing was right. Obviously, it was a nice little coffee shop when I went to meet her after we'd just beat them um, in the friendly before the Euros. But <laughs> just tried nice to break her up the following yeah. day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, she, she, I don't think she'll let me live that one down because I was adamant I wasn't going to ask her. Do you find her more attractive because of how good she is at football? I would I would say so, yes. I think we joke on sometimes. I think when we see uh, boys trying to kick a ball and they can't kick a ball, and we're like, oh, it's just not, it's not a good look. And it's the same for a girl. Yeah, for me, I mean, Vib's done what she's done for a long time and I have the utmost respect for her and what she does um, on the pitch. So, yeah, I mean, I would say that it makes them much more attractive than not being able to kick a ball. So you must watch football together as well. You're a Man United fan, I'm told. Uh-huh. Yeah. I've seen Viv on the Spurs Stadium tour. I don't know whether she knew that I was there that day, but I saw her going mm. and have, having the Spurs Stadium tour. I, I don't know. She's surely not a Spurs fan. She isn't. She's actually a Liverpool fan. Ah, so it's still not okay. ideal with us too. No. Man United and Liverpool, but um, yeah, she's a Liverpool fan. We went to a couple of Champions League games last season to watch them play. That was when we first started our getting on, should I say. So that they were, went to a few Champions League games and yeah, she's a big Liverpool fan and I'm a United fan. So it's not ideal, but we take, we wind each other up every time the results come in at the moment. <laughs> Look, at the end of the book, you you do ask for better. Uh, We'll move on to some of the serious stuff. What are you all asking for at Arsenal, at England? We just want better for the women's game. We want better for the next generation. And when we look back now, we've just won a Euros, but you look back at all them amazing women who walked around the pitch at Wembley, obviously last game against USA and they wanted better and they got better for us. But again, we want better for the next generation. And although the game is in such a good place right now, I mean, 
for me, there's still a lot more to be done. I mean, even the comment about me being the guest when I've just finished second in the Ballon d'Or, like, and Come that's on. on a bigger that's on a bigger mm-hmm. scale, and that shows still the game's not where it's meant to be. The Ballon d'Or in general, there's one Ballon d'Or award for the women, and there's goalkeeper, top scorer. There's four awards for the men, and then the Ballon d'Or. So there's still a long way for the game to push, and that kind of equality and we we speak openly about it. We know physically and we're not as strong and powerful as the men genetically. We know that, but we do the exact same thing that they do. Technically, we're just as good. We do, we put the hours in, we do our job, we do training, we do our nutrition, we miss on, we miss out on family events because of what we do. And I think that's where we still need to be getting the respect that we deserve, that we're doing the exact same things as these men, that the men are. And again, for us at England perspective, we put out the open letter for two hours of PE for girls. For us, it's not something that's massive to ask for, but we felt like it was we were on a great platform to ask for that. We did have a conversation with Liz Trust, but I think that one will have to go <laughs> go again. Um, and again, and again, who knows? And again, yeah. yeah. But we just want better for the game. The game mm. still deserves so much more and that's both domestically and internationally. Things have changed. You you no longer have to wait until the evenings because once upon yeah. a time at Arsenal, you were having to wait for all the facilities until the men had finished. Yeah. That's no longer the case. You were actually say to quote you in the book, if I had been born 10 years earlier, it might not have worked out for me. And as a result of that, Beth, there's a bit of your tone of voice in there that I read as a bit of an activist. So I, I mm. wonder what you make of a couple of things. First of all, Nadine Kessler, who used to play, who's now very vocal in the governance side of the sport. Is that something that you look to and think, oh, I, I wouldn't mind maybe doing that one day? I do want to have an effect on the game, not just on the pitch. I want to push for more. So, yeah, things like that are some things that I want to go into after football. I can be quite honest and open in how I believe and think about things. And for me, having the right people in your corner and pushing for them things is what what the game needs. So the fact that Nadine's doing that is amazing for us. And we also need someone to do that later on down the line again. So it is something that I would love to go into. I mean, there's a lot of things I'd love to go into. We'll see how that turns out. But yeah, for me, I just want to have an effect on the game um, and I want to help it continue to project and head in the right direction. And on that note, given where you came from, the northeast, and the fact that Sunderland used to be held in such high esteem in the game, that's where so many of you players came from. We know Lucy Bronze, Jordan Nobbs, Steph Horton, Jill Scott. Is there a part of you that wants to put that right? Because it feels like there's unfinished business in the Northeast. Well, yeah, I mean, names you've just reeled off. We've produced some talent from there. And I mean, it's an amazing place. The Northeast loves its football. We live and breathe it. We love every minute of it. We kick every ball with every single team. Fans kick every ball with us. And it sometimes hits different being part of them teams and it's a shame that Sunderland didn't get the chance that they, I think, were rightfully should have been allowed to be given. Um, obviously, they didn't get accepted into the first WSL. They then got accepted into WSL 2. We then got promoted into WSL 1. And again, 
the men didn't do so good and the women's team were punished and taken out of the t- top league again. So would of them types of players, if they, that you mentioned earlier, would they still be there if that the club was given a chance? Because all the girls will sit there and say that they love Sunderland, they love playing for Sunderland. But unfortunately, again, it was one where we had to develop and get more out of our game. So we all moved on. But the North East and Sunderland deserve so much more than that. Again, something maybe we can talk about. I do often do a lot of stuff and speak to the Sunderland girls quite a lot. And I'm still in touch with the manager, Mel Ray. So it's, yeah, it's somewhere that I um, hold a lot in my heart because they ultimately were my first women's team and got me to where I am today. Yeah, they made you. Um, Two more things just before we let you go. Um, Two being the operative word, because I understand you had the Panini sticker book for the Euros and you're short of two stickers. Yeah, I am. Do you know which stickers you're you're looking for? We Uh, can put this out. We can try and get them for you. I know. I'm currently in the process of moving flats, so it's at my other flat. Are you going to – you let me know. And I'll, put I'll let you a, know and we can put that one out. I know. I get you your two stickers. Okay. Yeah, me, Rich, Millie and Lauren with hemp were sifting through them through the Euros and we were trying to help each other out, but I couldn't get them last two. And just to round off, we all know that a book can sometimes be made into a film, Beth. We've seen, <laughs> I've seen so many times that the, the rights have been bought up and then you cast and you could have a say in who plays you. Who would you like? Shall I bring Kieran Knightley back for a footballing cameo? <laughs> we need to move on from Bend It Like Beckham. I think that's what we need. We need a new film, a new women's football film. Yeah, I've never thought about that one, to be honest. I don't know. We had a production Definitely. meeting. Katie joined us for it. Yeah. And um, and producer Sophie said, Amanda Seyfried, which we thought was a good shout. Okay. Yeah. Do you know who I do like? Jodie Comer. I thought Jodie Comer, that's what went through mm. my head, because she can do all the accents as well, can't she? She can. She's <laughs> got to work on a Yorkshire accent now. She can yeah. do all the other ones. Yeah. And yeah, I quite like her personality. Um, I'd like to think I'm a little bit funny, and she's funny, so maybe she could give me a good job. Oh, well, thank you so much. Look, we didn't want to give too much away in the book because there's so much in there that people will enjoy. Mm. Uh, Lioness, My Journey to Glory. And is there a second book coming out at some point from you? I have got some children's books coming out oh younger ones yeah there we go you're gonna you're gonna be taking over the bookshelves in waterstones this christmas and next thank you so much thank you thank you thanks this is the athletic women's football podcast that was me speaking to England and Arsenal's Beth Mead. The Athletics' Katie Wyatt, who ghost-wrote that book, is here with me now. Uh, Katie, you've been in the background there listening to that interview. First of all, just hearing that and knowing the words that you've put down on a page as well, what were, you, what were your reactions to it? Yeah, I really enjoyed listening to that. And I think it was very obvious that Beth, in the way that she opened up, really, really trusted you. And I think that's testament to you being one of those people that's been around the women's game for so long. And you obviously knew her at Sunderland, which is quite a few years ago now. Having been around for so many moments, it's very obvious that players kind of recognise that and remember journalists that are willing to open up. So it's uh, nice that you're being rewarded for all of that, that toil and hard work and everything that you've put in over the years. 
Oh, bless. Well, uh, let's talk about the hard work of the book writing. So this happened over quite a period of time. Can you just tell us about how it came together? I think people just see words on a page in a lovely, glossy, finished hardback and don't understand the process sometimes. Yeah, um, well, they came to me and said, Beth has got a number of publishers that are interested in um, doing her life story or her memoir rather it's not necessarily autobiography because as she was saying to you that she's very young so it's kind of a memoir of the last couple of last well of her life up to this point in particular the last few years of the hero's success and the lessons that people can can glean from that and she's liaising with various publishers and she wants you to be the ghost writer because she's kind of spoken to you before and was very adamant that you were the one to do it so that was obviously very flattering but then very quickly became apparent that in time to get it out for a Christmas release it was a very very short deadline so I think that we had about three weeks to do it in the end to get the initial bit written and then a few more weeks on top of that to, to do the editing so it was really really brutal so the first thing that I did was ring around lots of people like Mike Calvin for example who was ghostwritten um, he did Joey Barton's book, for example. He's done loads and loads and loads of them. Gareth Thomas's, um, Stu James at The Athletic, who did Jamie Vardy's, and just spoke to various people about how they structured it and their experiences and everything. But I was still quite anxious going into that first meeting. And a lot of the people that I was speaking to, the writers, were kind of warning me of, oh, you, you're going to start dreaming about this book and you'll be having dreams as <laughs> Beth Mead. Um, and I didn't have any dreams as Beth, but I did have a lot of dreams about the book and kind of what if everything went wrong and stuff like that. But as you will have seen from the interview, she's a great talker and she was very um, clear on the direction that she wanted to take the book and everything. So it was a very easy process in terms of actually working with Beth. I couldn't have asked for any more from her in terms of her commitment to the book that she totally got what we were going for and had a very clear vision for it. So it was very straightforward in that sense. Thanks to your insight as well, I was able to bring up about the concussion and she, she mentioned about that against Ajax and, and she's meant to be reading out passages. Um, so was that one of the most testing times? It was, I mean, the way that we did it was obviously she was, on the one hand, she had all of her playing commitments. So her first week, we didn't actually meet in person throughout the process. Her first week she was on the England camp. So I was kind of liaising with her for phone calls. She was in a hotel room at St George's Park and we were doing the video calls and we'd sit down for a couple of hours and go through various parts of her career. Then went up to see her family when Beth was away at some point on a camp or an Arsenal trip or there was some reason she wasn't in England. So I was kind of using that time away from her to go and see her family and where she'd lived and her, her teenage bedroom and just get a bit more of a, a picture of her early life and fill in various gaps and things. And then um, she, I was sending the chapters to her as we went. And at the end, she kind of had a read through of the book right at the last minute. So she was reading it on planes to Champions League games and in between doing this interview and being out filming this campaign. So she is so busy on the back of the Euros and she would message me saying, oh, I like this bit, will you change this bit? But yeah, the concussion, it was right before the um, the print deadline. And as she was saying to you, she could only... Um, have limited screen time with her head injury and couldn't necessarily concentrate for long bouts so um she was very very persistent to be able to actually get it done and read it when her head must have been in a real real state what was it like meeting all of her family and friends and these very special people that she's dedicated the book to what was your 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 takeaway from from the family setup yeah, it was really nice because we drove up to um, Hinderwell, which is, as she was saying, a tiny village in Whitby. It really is small. And um, so her dad was walking me around the village and you could very easily get to one side to the other very quickly and showing me this was the school that she went to. This was the 
ballet school that she enrolled in which is a story in, in the book um, <laughs> and some of it, one of her family friends were there and they were saying oh I remember this story about Beth and it kind of served a few purposes that trip on the one hand there were things that maybe Beth had said oh I, I don't remember this exactly but my dad will know these details and they're the kind of parents that have kept all of her school reports all the newspaper cuttings from when she was six and on the local football teams and stuff and her dad knew all the scores of games and which scorers and who she'd been with at various age groups and everything so uh, on one hand they were filling in that gap but then they had their own memories and stories and they were very much helpful in building a more complete picture of, of the kind of person Beth was growing up and the person that she is now and it was funny because a lot of the stories that they were um, talking about, so there's one that they talk about how Beth went to a wedding and she was a tomboy and they'd got these satin ballet slippers to wear and she just decided absolutely not wearing those and was nagging her mum at the reception saying, oh, will you get me my trainers? Aren't my AstroTurf trainers? So was wearing this flower girl dress with these black and neon green AstroTurf Deodora trainers and then there was um, a few stories about her being homesick on England camps as she was outlining with you and the way that her mum dealt with that when she got homesick when she moved to Arsenal and stuff and there were quite a few moments when I was like oh that's what I was like as a kid or that's what I was like when I first went to university for example so there were sort of moments when seeing her family and the way that she was and the way that she dealt with things it was obviously very lovely of them to let me into their home and everything but it was um kind of a lot easier to write about them because you were like oh actually we're very similar to each other in certain ways so it was easier to find her voice and everything um but no it was a great afternoon was there for quite a few hours and her dog Rona lives there and was kind of like hopping up to settle on people's laps and everything and have her <laughs> belly rubbed and stuff so it was just really nice to be in their house and see where she'd grown up and everything they must have provided quite a few of the pictures as well for the book. Um, and yeah. how did you how did you whittle those down? Yeah, there were two parts to it. The first one was pictures from kind of agencies like Getty and Pierre, for example, that were her football career of very specific moments. So Beth and I kind of made a list of things that we would want represented in the book, specific goals or specific games that she talked about. And then the other half, it was going through and making a list of her personal child pictures of again key moments in the book so there's a family pet that's quite a crucial part of the story he was mentioned a lot that we wanted representing and then just various child pictures and everything and I think her mum and dad went through and picked those out and then the publisher and Beth kind of teamed up to whittle those down into the ones that were actually in the book and everything. And what are your ambitions for the book and what are Beth's ambitions for the book you can tell us from from her point of view it's coming out in November it's just in time for Christmas I think the country's never been more engaged with women's football than it is now. Um, I'm not sure about Beth's ambitions. I know that in an early conversation, someone said to me, oh, Beth really cares about this book. It's her baby. Um, so that was very reassuring for me to hear that she was willing to put in the time and the hours and everything and really cares about it. So I think for her and for me as well, just seeing, because as someone who obviously works in writing and works in journalism and everyone sort of wants to write a book and to have finally done that ambition, even if it is ghostwritten, still feels very surreal so at the time that this podcast goes out we're going to get our kind of early copies of the book before it goes into store in the next oh. few days so I think actually seeing it from being a word document with all different comments and colour coding and everything to being the actual one that you hold in your hand will be very strange and then seeing it on the shelves and stuff will be very very surreal and really heartwarming I think because when you're in the middle of it 
you kind of don't see the wood for the trees with it and you're not sure if it's any good and because you spend so much time with them and so much time with these stories and these transcripts and the recordings and everything that you kind of don't get the bigger picture so I was just very nervous to see what the wider public reaction is but then having left it a little bit and gone back and read certain sections I'm I'm very think that Beth should be really proud because it's her openness and her willingness to kind of delve into uncomfortable areas and be honest that has really made the book what it is so I just think that for people to pick it up and really relate to that and to maybe see another side to this player who's obviously done so well in the WSL is probably the main thing that I want for people to read and think oh yeah I've learned a lot about her and it's really changed my perspective and I've really got some new insight that's kind of the main thing that we're driving for with it I think. You've done a fantastic job, Katie. So well done for that. Um, We are going to have to leave things here. But my thanks to you for joining us and giving us that extra insight afterwards. Also, of course, to Beth Mead for her time and talking about that book. Um, I did mention at the start, worth repeating, Beth's autobiography, Lioness, My Journey to Glory, is coming out on November the 10th. If you do want to share your thoughts on anything that Beth said during that interview at The Athletic FC, at The Athletic FC is our new handle, and Offside Rule Pod. Thanks as ever ever for listening and keep spreading the word about us when you bye for now the athletic